We have to realize as leaders, our job is to identify problems and solutions. And we have to stop being surprised. When I was a high school principal, it was amazing to me how much energy my teachers wasted being surprised by things that weren't all that surprising, right? There's drama, there's drama on the cheerleading team. Wait a minute, we have 37 15 year old girls and they can't get along? Who saw that coming? Everybody else saw that coming. This is the Leadership on the Rocks podcast, where we equip and empower leaders like you to thrive in and create harmony between your professional and personal lives. I'm your host, Bethany Reese. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking with Mr. Lyle Wells to learn about how to lead with confidence and accelerate your impact. So Lyle is the president of Integrist Leadership and the author of The Five-Day Leader, an insanely practical guide to relentless growth, ridiculous routines, and resilient relationships. As a leading voice for high-impact kingdom builders, he is captivating 100 audiences across the world every year. Lyle spent decades transforming athletic programs and serving as a leader in higher education. His passion on the basketball court and for his teams is matched only by his fervor for healthy ministry leaders who accelerate their kingdom impact. Welcome to the podcast, Leadership on the Rocks. Mr. Lyle, we're so glad to have you. Bethany, we're thrilled to be here. I'm looking forward to uh, this conversation. Uh, thanks for the great introduction. I wish my parents were here because uh, I think my dad would have liked it. And my mom would have believed it. So um, thank you so um, much for uh, inviting me to be a part of it. Well, I'm so glad you're here. So I have benefited so much from your work. Um, you are the author, like I said, of The Five-Day Leader. I've read the book, but I've also been a part of your trainings. And I just love everything that you're putting out. You know, leaders are so overwhelmed with everything that they have to do, and you really help center us on what's most important and how do we simplify, especially that five-day work week, so that we get the right things done and we're actually getting more of the right things done. So talk to us, like, what led you to write this book? Well, the interesting genesis, I was on a flight and telling a guy about what I did, and he said, so who are the five most impressive leaders that you've ever worked with? And so, you know, I gave the guy four names and yours, Bethany, of course. And um, uh, he said, uh, you know, what what was it that would make them, what made them so unique? And, um, you know, on the fly, I, I gave the best possible answer. But that night I sat down in my hotel room and really reflected on um, why do I consider these people to be such great leaders and what is it about them? And I and I came down to three th simple things. Number one, that relentless commitment to growth. Like great leaders never ever stop growing because when you do, you create that leadership lid that John Maxwell talks about. The second thing is they built resilient relationships. Everybody talks about relationships, but you know the goal really is to have a relationship with somebody that will stand the test of time. Uh, that will endure a global pandemic, that will endure a recession, that will endure a prodigal child in your home, what wherever you're leading. And then the last one was just, I realized that great leaders never get tired of doing the same right things over and over and over again. And so um, that's where we came up with the idea of ridiculous routines. So that became the genesis. Um, and then, um, you know, the second part of the book, you mentioned the five-day uh, work week. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of Peloton. And one of the things I love about Peloton is they tell me exactly what to do. 
the rate I have to do it and the resistance that I have to have uh, when I'm doing it. And I thought we respond so well to that. So let's give leaders three challenges a day that are gonna grow their credibility and their influence and challenge them to execute on those same behaviors every Monday, every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Man, I have always believed that people thrive under structure, right? And, you know, thinking about, again, I've read the book and I just, it's been fabulous, but I love your definition of leadership. You you call it the five minute definition of leadership. And I actually wrote it down. So I want to make sure I get this right, because I want to quote you on this, because I literally was shouting amen and yes. And so you said, quote, leadership like love will ultimately be seen only through its actions. You can't say you love someone if you don't act lovingly and you can't call yourself a leader if you don't act like one. And I have to say, I really think everybody that's listening is like, yes, amen. We have so many hypocrites that know about leadership, can talk about leadership, but they don't have the actions of leadership. And so how can we step into like what you were saying, those three things, how can we serve people well, besides those three actions that you were saying that, you know, resilient growth or relentless growth, ridiculous routines and resilient relationships, like help us, how can we serve the people that we lead? Well, I think there's two things that we have to own, you know, uh, Bethany, number one is we're ultimately responsible for our own behavior. We're not victims here. So, you know, every behavior is something that's well within my circle of control. So I choose how I behave. And because I'm conscious of that, I want to choose behaviors that are going to impact people in a meaningful way. So, for example, you used love. You know, um, uh, I've been married for 34 years. Uh, One of my daily five is that I want to demonstrate at least two of the love languages to my wife every day. So acts of service and words. And the next day, it might be quality time and physical touch. And the next day, she might get a gift and more quality time. But leadership is ultimately about behavior. And so once we realize that it's not about us, at Integris, we say, if it's not about others, it's broken. Then we we look to others and go, what do they need right here and right now? And in the book, I discuss some research that I found from an anthropologist Um, that shows that there are five universal needs, security, community, clarity, authority, and dignity. And if we're just walking around with those five front of mind and engaging with the people in our homes and the people in our churches and the people in our workplace, we can see where those needs are. And then when we meet them, again, it grows our credibility and our influence. I love that so much. And, you know, the basic needs of people. Leadership is about people. Like you said, can you repeat those five basic needs of people that we really have to tap into? The need for security, not just physical, but also social and emotional. The need for community. I mean, we're all going to be connected to somebody. Um, You know, I say human beings are herd animals and we want good community. (laughs) But Bethany, if I can't get good community, I'll take bad community because it's better than no community at all. Um, there's the need for clarity, um, the need for authority. You said people thrive under structure. Um, we all have a boss or a board that we report to, um, you know, and what's interesting is I don't think people have innately authority issues. I think they have inappropriate authority issues because if your boss or your board meets your needs, if they treat you well, Um, you're going to work hard. You're going to come early. You're going to stay late. You'll probably show up on the weekends. And then the last one is dignity. 
Bethany, nobody wants to be average. Everybody has a dream in their heart. But on their way to pursue their dream, they get stuck or scared. They either run out of skill, and we got to coach them up and get new skills, or they run out of courage, and that's how we have to encourage them. I mean, you talked about equip and empower. Um, our message would be equip and encourage. Equip, give you the skills. Encourage, give you the courage. It's so true. You know, and I've said this, and this, I don't know how appropriate it is, but I really believe this. Nobody wants to suck at their job, right? Nobody shows up saying, I'm going to be the worst employee today. And I love what you said. And again, I know it sounds repetitive, but I think sometimes we have to hear it. I think Patrick Patrick Lencioni says we got to hear things eight times before we really get it. And so you said people either run out of skill or what? Can you repeat those for us? Or courage. They get scared. They There's a gap where you've got to take a step of faith and, and they're just afraid to do it. I mean, think about Think about customer service. Like there's no way that many people wake up in a bad mood, right? I mean, um, I travel, I get on 150 airplanes a year. I, you know, I always look at the people down in baggage claim that have to deal with customers who have lost their baggage. And I think is that not the hardest job on the planet? Because everybody you're going to gauge with is going to be in a bad mood. And nine times out of 10, their response is to be as angry and as ugly as the customer is. But then you find that that rare one that says, I, I don't want to be like this. I'm in control of my own behavior. And so I'm going to respond to their ugly with kindness. Um, I'm going to serve them the best that I can. And um, so uh, ultimately, uh, again, it comes down to this idea that we are in control of our thoughts and our attitudes and actions as leaders. And that those thoughts, attitudes, and actions are likely to create a response. Now, the other thing, Bethany, you were a school leader. I mean, you led thousands of high school students. You know this, you can treat them completely appropriately, be mature, be respectful, and get just the exact opposite back. Mm -hmm. But their response is not your responsibility. And that's one of the other key things that I teach leaders is you do you. How they respond to you is not your responsibility. All you can control is your behavior. It is so true. And, and I got to tell you, you know, I, and you know, people have heard this a lot, school administrators, especially, you know, we break up physical fights. We break up a lot of verbal fights. We've been cussed out a lot. And you're so right. I can't even tell you how responding with love of this moment is bigger than the way that you're reacting emotionally. And I'm going to tap into that. I have to tap into that greater source of my relationship with Jesus and my love for people so that I don't react and be reciprocal <laughs> and match their same emotional level of anger or whatever it is. And so how do we how do we not react but step into that response of choosing our behavior? Because I'm going to be honest, it's hard. Leaders deal with nothing but negativity, right? Problems, conflicts, constraints, and it can wear on you. And I think that's where the devil can slip in, you know, with, hey, it's okay if you react badly just this once, but just one bad reaction, you can lose so much trust uh, in that relationship. So talk to us, how do we step into those hard things and have the behavior of a leader? Oh, such good questions. So I'm going to give you two quick things. Number one, something that's really helped me, Bethany, is this, um, the realization that every human being is an object of the Lord's affection. Mm -hmm. That parent who is across from you right now saying the most ugly, vile, irrational things, Jesus loves that person as much as he loves me. Mm -hmm. And I'm called to love them too. 
so that's number one. But number two is this, and 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 you've tapped into something really, really important, Bethany. Um, we have to realize as leaders, our job is to identify problems and solutions. And we have to stop being surprised. When I was a high school principal, it was amazing to me how much energy my teachers wasted being surprised by things that weren't all that surprising, right? There's, drama, there's drama on the cheerleading team. Wait a minute, we have 37 15-year-old girls and they can't get along? Who saw that coming? Everybody else saw that coming, <laughs> right? A 17-year-old boy is doing something stupid, right? He's driving his truck on the sidewalk. Why would he do that? Because his brain isn't fully formed, because somebody bet him a dollar. I don't know. The job of a 17-year-old boy is make bad decisions. And all of us did that job really well when we were 17. So true. <laughs> Stop being surprised. You know, somebody's sideways and has a different agenda than everybody else at the church. Um, there's 425,000 churches in America. It happens. You know, there's somebody that's disgruntled at your business and you're paying them well and you're treating them great. It happens. They've got pain from somewhere else in their life and now they're projecting it onto you. So if, if people walked away from one thing from this podcast, maybe it would be stop being surprised. There are going to be challenges and there are going to be problems. If leadership was easy, everybody would be good at it. Mm -hmm. But it's not, and there are very few elite leaders, and that's the goal of your work and the goal of our work is to help to create more of those kinds of leaders. Absolutely. I love that. And I've never heard that before. Stop being surprised. And it's so true. You know, uh, our pastor specifically says hurt people hurt people, and we love to wear our offense. As leaders, you've got to not be offended. You know, hurt people hurt people. That's a fact. You know, like you were saying, and oh, that is so spot on of just high school kids are going to make bad decisions because their brain isn't fully formed. You know, people in chaos during the pandemic, they're going to be, you know, extra full of anxiety and fear of the future and all of those things. And so don't be surprised at that, but also guard yourself from always being offended at things too. And then writing people off, you know, I firmly believe that whenever somebody misbehaves badly you know, one, you got to step into the conversation. They've got to become aware that that behavior was not appropriate. So that accountability piece. But as the leader, it's also your job to reach out and reconcile that relationship if it can be. You know, there's some hard times where, yes, you have to let an employee go. But if the employee is going to stay, you need to step out and reconcile because they're in fear and doubt of, well, what's my place now? What do they think of me now? And that can stay very negative if you don't reach out and get over that offense and, uh, kind of bridge that relationship. What do you think about situation like that? Well, remember this, I, Bethany, I've always taught our children um, that money and alcohol just make people more of what they already were. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're angry and you get drunk, now you're an angry drunk. You know, <laughs> if, if, if you're selfish and all of a sudden you have a lot of money, you're just selfish with a lot more money. Mm -hmm. Money and alcohol just make you more of what you already are. And I would say anxiety is the third thing. I mean, that's what we saw in the pandemic. The anxiety of the pandemic just made people more of what they already were. People who were compassionate and kind, the pandemic, they were more compassionate and more kind. People who were angry and ugly, people who were violent or divisive, you saw that get um, elevated during the pandemic or when people get anxious. So, you know, my thing is this, 
we, we say you've been in, in our workshops. We say, we don't talk about good or bad. Let's just talk about better. How can we make this situation better? And so the, as a leader, um, I always focus on what's the next right thing, right? I've got an employee who's struggling. What's the next right thing? Go and have a conversation with that person. How many leaders, Bethany, are talking to everybody else about oh struggling person at the school or in the company or at the church, but nobody goes and talks to them? Yes. And so the next right thing, go and talk to them. You you have a, you have a little bit of friction with your husband. I know you guys are going through a transition, moving, moving. Yeah. I, I I know in my house when we move. Mom and dad can kind of get a little tense. You know what? I say something I that I shouldn't have said or with a tone that I shouldn't have used. What's the next right thing? Go and apologize. Yeah. And so I always challenge leaders, think about the next right thing. All right. And that gets you back on course. Because here's what happens. You know, we don't, we don't end up in the ditch with one bad decision. It's this decision multiplied by that decision, by that decision that takes you upside down and in the ditch. You have said so many things. I just, I can't wait to see the transcript of this because it's so quotable. You know, you said one bad decision doesn't end you up in the ditch. And it's so true, but we wear the weight of that so often that we can lose course and we just keep going down that, you know, and we can lose sight of our priorities. Speaking of priorities, again, you're so quotable. You say a priority isn't a priority until it's resourced. And that's so true. I think so often in leadership, we talk about how important culture is, but if we're not pouring into the culture of our team and our organization, it's not really a priority. Just because you say it doesn't make it so. So can you talk to us? How do we actually step into what we call our priorities a priority? Well, first off, Bethany, let me affirm you for using the correct version of the word. Oh, I didn't even know. Singular, priority. The definition of priority is one above all others. So really, when you think about somebody who's using the term priorities, I mean, it's really an oxymoron. You can't have multiple priorities. Um, so uh, I love the way that you're using that word. So we look at it this way. If something truly is a priority, it's going to get your best people. It's going to get a, a sufficient amount of time and it's going to get the resources that it needs. So, you know, when when a church says, hey, we love families, families matter here, kids matter here. Um, are you putting your best people? Um, are you giving a, an appropriate amount of time to plan your children's programming? And are there resources available to it? Um, you know, again, what we'll tap into our shared experiences as high school administrators. I remember one time uh, I was doing a, an accreditation visit. When I was a high school principal, I was visiting another school to um, endorse them for accreditation. And when I drove up, they had this beautiful sign and it said, Home of Scholars and Champions. And you know, being a, an educator who's also an athlete, I just loved that. Uh, but then the next day, I always ask, let me see your budget because I'll know what matters. I'll know what matters in your household. Let me see your budget. I'll know what matters in your business. Let me see your budget. And I looked at their budget and their English budget. This was a four-year high school. Their English budget was $3,500 for materials. Wow. And the football budget was $350,000. And I said, well, wait a minute. That sign, Scholars and Champions, we probably need to flip that. 
because you're a lot more interested in being a champion than you are about being about creating scholars. And that's so true. So true. You know, go back to the cliche, you got to put your money where your mouth is. You know, if you say something, that's where your money needs to go. And I know in the Bible, it talks about where your heart is, your treasures there also, you know, your treasure where your heart is. Well, I mean, Bethany, just think about this. Um, The work that you and I do in developing others, how many organizations truly make that a priority? They'll all say we want to develop leaders. They'll all say we want to see our people do their best work. Like my heart is that everybody at Integris is doing their dream job and I'll resource anything I have to, to help them do what they dream of doing at the highest level they possibly can, because it serves our partners well, right? And it creates great retention and an amazing culture. But so many people will say their people matter and then they won't invest anything into their development, whether it's you doing it yourself by investing time and some resource or outsourcing it. So many people absolutely refuse to do that. Man, it's so true. You know, and and this is you in your book, you kind of have it in two parts. You know, you have the first half and you have the second half. Again, you know, you played basketball, coached collegiate basketball. And I love that. And I think that so far in this podcast, we've been talking about the first half. It's about the heart. It's about the behaviors. It's about the priority and what you're doing with your resources and all of that. So let's kind of go to the second half and talk about, okay, if I have my heart aligned to what I know I'm doing, I'm serving people. It is about others. It's not about me. You still have to execute. You still have to get some things done. So can you switch to the the true five-day leader and kind of walk us through, give us a framework uh, if you can just give us a sneak peek of your book of how do we take the heart that we're now building? And again, we're not going to be perfect, right? We're going to make that bad decision, but it doesn't derail us completely. But how do we actually execute and get some things done? Can you walk us through the five days? Yeah, um, there's a myth that, you know, leadership, that leaders move mountains. Um, and we know that God can move mountains. But, uh, you know, I grew up in Colorado uh, and during uh, my childhood, they dug the Eisenhower Tunnel. They literally tunneled through a mountain so that the people of Denver could get to the ski areas without having to go over 14,000 foot mountain passes. Well, how did they do that? They did that one shovel full of dirt at a time. You know, they they you know they jackhammered one rock. They got one scoop from a front loader at a time. And so there's this power in what I call compounding behaviors. So, you know, today is 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 a Tuesday. It's Tough Tuesday. And so um, one of the challenges on Tough Tuesday um, is a, address an issue um, that you've thought more than once about, um, you know, challenge uh, somebody that um, might be underperforming or an attitude that you're a little bit concerned about. So, you know, is doing that once going to change the culture of your family or your organization? No, but there's power in the compounding behaviors. If I deal with the one thing, the one attitude, the one performance issue, the one um, underperformer um, every single Tuesday, if I have one conversation, that means I'm having 50 a year. And that moves the dial, right? Tough Tuesday, we say do one more of everything um, that you would, that you're going to do. Uh, I'm looking in my office at my whiteboard and I wrote this morning, every email, every text, every sales contact. 
no matter what, it's Tough Tuesday. Uh, I've been on the road for two weeks. So I've got an inbox that um, is full. I've got some texts that I haven't gotten back to people yet. And then I have sales contacts because I've been meeting people for the last two weeks at conferences. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them tonight before I go to bed, no matter what. Now, doing that today, is that going to change the game? No. But if I attack every Tuesday this way for the rest of the year, then the game is going to change. So it's this power of compounding behavior. I say in the book, one run, you're going to feel good. But you run three miles a day, five days a week, your health changes, um, your outlook changes, your energy level changes. That's the goal of the five-day framework of the second half of the book. Man, and it's so good. And I think, and I love the way, you know, being an educator, again, you differentiate for us. You're like, okay, here's three tracks. So start here. If you don't know where to start, start with this thing. And it's literally just one simple task that we can do for each of those days of the week. And then you also give us the second level and the third level of how to just step more into that. And I think that that's what we we need. So often we paint with such a broad brush on everything that we have to step into all of these situations that we're feeling and saying, okay, like you said, number one, what's the next right thing to do? But number two, I don't need to feel the weight of trying to do it all. Just take the next best step and be consistent in that. And you're going to build that momentum. And it's just so good. I thank you for giving us that structure. Again, I truly believe people thrive under structure, whether it's, again, you and I've been in education. So kids definitely thrive in structure, but adults do as well, because it it takes away the anxiety of security of the fear of chaos and all those things. And that's what you've given leaders in your book. And I'm just so thankful for it. So I appreciate it. <laughs> well, uh, my favorite Peloton instructor, um, he says, I make suggestions, you make decisions. Oh. And, you know, he says, Hey, uh, you know, this next climb, I want you at this level, but remember uh, if you need to back off, back off, I make suggestions, you make decisions. And that's what I want people to feel from the book. I mean, look, you're not going to check all three boxes every day. The goal is not good or bad. It's just better. Um, I'm also a bivocational senior pastor. Literally yesterday, we had a snake in our conference room. I mean, we finished our Monday morning team meeting. We all go back to our offices. An hour later, there's this blood curdling scream. Um, and you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's in a rural, our church is in a rural area and, and, you know, somehow this guy got under a door or we'd left a door open. And um, but, you know, that was a pretty disruptive thing for about 90 minutes. I mean, you know, it sounds crazy that a two foot snake cost everybody 90 minutes of work. But there was a lot of standing on chairs. You touch it. I'm not going to touch it. Is it poisonous? I don't know. You're going to have snakes in the conference room once in a while. Mm -hmm. So that day, maybe you got one thing or you didn't get anything done. That's the beauty. You know, scripture tells us his mercies are new every day. And so every day is a new day. I talk about in the book, don't wait till January 1st, make every day New Year's Day and attack the challenges with that same energy. So good. I love that. Everybody, you know, everybody encounters snakes that can jump up and bite you and kind of Absolutely. Oh, it's so true in the school system. Um, some of those snakes have arms and legs and they're called people. Sometimes. <laughs> Um, so, you know, in, in kind of thinking everything we've talked about, and it's been so good, what are some takeaways that our listeners can literally go and apply? Um, so can you kind of take everything that we've talked about and just give us some action items, give us some takeaways? 
Well, I, I would say a couple of things. Number one, when we think about um, living your life under uh, the idea of living by priority, uh, one of the real practical things is, Bethany, I teach leaders to have a daily five. What are the five essential things that you're going to do every day? Um, you know, for me personally, I'm going to abide. I'm going to be with the Lord. Uh, I'm going to love. I'm going to express my love for my team, my family, my wife. I'm going to sweat every day. I mean, I'm not a great athlete anymore, but um, the healthiest man I've ever met is in his late 70s. And that's his fitness plan. Break a sweat every day. Go for a bike ride. Go play pickup basketball. Get on a Peloton, whatever. Yeah. Number four is teach. I mean, you're wired to be a teacher. I'm wired to be a teacher. So I'm going to teach or write every single day. And then number five is advance. Um, I'm not content leaving things where they are. So I'm going to always try to move a person or a project to that next step. So define your five. You have a daily five. I, I think the other thing um, is that we don't do this alone. Um, so, you know, get the book, look at those behaviors, modify them if you have to. I mean, if you're a salesperson, I mean, turn it into the five-day salesperson. If you're a teacher, turn it into the five-day teacher. Um, again, you, you, you know, um, uh, I didn't write the book because I'm the smartest guy on the planet. Uh, I wrote the book to help average, hungry leaders like you and I. Um, so, but start to build a framework of doing the same right things uh, every day. And then the last thing I would just say is give yourself grace. Um, you know, we're not, we're not perfect uh, as leaders, uh, but we can always be better. And so stop comparing, stop looking to the left and to the right about what other people are doing. Focus on what God's called you to do. Be the very best you can at it. Focus on your circle of control. Absolutely. You know, I always talk about progress over perfection. And I say that not always to other people, but I verbally say it to remind myself. <laughs> you know, my, uh, my quote, uh, Bethany, so you say progress over perfection. Mine is similar, but we challenge our team. We say often wrong, never in doubt. You know, um, look, you, you regret the things you don't do. So uh, I, I, I've got a young leader um, here with me today, a young man that I have the privilege of working with. And my first conversation with him was this, I'll pay tuition. Cooper, you go out and learn by making mistakes. You try things. And if it doesn't work, you've learned a lesson. And I don't mind paying for that. I don't pay welfare. I don't pay people to sit around and overthink and overanalyze. Be often wrong, but never in doubt. Be bold. I think God honors the bold and you can't baby step your way to boldness. That is amazing. I'm going to have to chew on that one for a long time. So often wrong, never in doubt. Um, I cannot thank you enough for just all of your bits of wisdom. And I'm going to ask you the question I ask everybody, you know, the whole podcast has been great ideas of what we need to step into. You know, you're kind of calling us out of status quo to make progress, be better, right? So what is one poor decision? Let's do the opposite. What's one thing that we shouldn't be doing? One poor decision every leader should avoid. I, I think the poorest decision a leader can make is to look for excuses or reasons why they failed or blame other people. I mean, that just... Um, you know, you, you, you end up rehearsing your own pain and, you know, again, we serve a God, um, who's 
quick to forgive. Um, and once he forgives, he forgets. That's what scripture tells us. And so, you know, um, uh, they say experience is the best teacher. Um, I don't believe that. Uh, I think experience is a great teacher. Learn from it and move on, but also learn from the experiences of others. And if you're always busy being a victim and justifying your own failure, you're never humble enough to go and say, Bethany, teach me about leadership. Uh, you know, I mean, I've been on your website. I'm downloading your free resources because um, you're a leader that I've met and been very, very impressed with. And so I would say, um, stop making excuses. Stop blaming other people. Own your own growth journey and be humble enough to go and learn from others. You ask for one, there's like four. My apologies. It's all good though. We need it all, right? Because every day is a battle and a struggle and we've got to remind ourselves of these things. So thank you so much. So where can our uh, listeners go to learn more about you and your work? Where can they one, get the book and then follow you on social media? So let us know, where do we go? Well, the book's available at Amazon and, you know, all those, you know, barnesandnoble.com, all of those things. Okay. Um you know, integris.org is our website if you're interested in the work that we do. Um, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter. It's at Lead with Lyle. And uh, again, just encourage people um, to reach out. And um, I think that's one of the myths, Bethany. I think you've overcome that. And I know Integris has. Our heart is to cross the road. So people think, oh, it's so expensive to have a coach or, you know, I don't. Um, you know what's expensive? Not having a coach, um, you know, continuing in your same failures and not having a voice call out the best that's in you. I think that's way more expensive um, than the few dollars it costs to have a coach. So I'd encourage them to reach out to you or to us, uh, because ultimately our heart is to serve leaders so they can have greater impact. And, you know, I mean, we're all on a rescue mission. You know, we're rescuing, you know, people from hell. We're rescuing our our, our communities uh, from compromise. We're rescuing our churches from complacency. Um, we've all got great calls on our life uh, to lean in and make a difference. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Again, Lyle Wells with Integris. He's also the author of The Five-Day Leader. And guys, until next time, continue putting in the work of building your life and leadership on the rocks, the essential rocks. God bless. Remember, the most essential rock you can build your life and leadership on is the rock of Jesus Christ. Today's Bible verse comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2b. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others.